0: This message first aired on the radio on August 8th, 2003. We have been looking at the scriptures now for 10 days. This is our 11th time that we're looking at the scriptures of the dispensation concerning the promise, or the, what we call the dispensation of promise, organized around the lives of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and we will also say Jacob's sons, covering the period of time from the time that God called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees and then brought Jacob and his sons into Egypt for a period of time while they were treated well, and then their period of bondage. We've been happy to take up some of the wonderful pictures that are found in in this dispensation. We've spent considerably more time on it. Then we have the previous three dispensations, and the reason for that is because it's such a pivotal one in terms of New Testament doctrine and truth concerning God's plan of salvation. We see a couple of things going on. We see a historical prefigurement or typification, for example, of the future history of Israel, and we see, especially here in the life of Jacob, we see the dual typification of Israel Israel according to the flesh, and the Israel of God. We saw in Isaac, for example, a picture of our Lord Jesus Christ, a wonderful picture. And we'll see that also in the stories of Joseph, and we'll see a picture of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we will move our focus from Jacob to Joseph today. We're looking at the dispensation of promise. We're looking at Jacob between Bethel's. And as I was thinking about this uh, in preparation for today, I was thinking, really, we ought to live in Bethel. Bethel is the house of God, and we ought to just remain there. When Jacob left Bethel, he had nothing but trouble. He displayed himself as a Jacob, and God brings him back to Bethel where he is blessed. In between those areas, he is totally humiliated, embarrassed, And I was thinking of the scripture that says, they that believe in the Lord will not be ashamed. And another translation translates that they that wait on the Lord will not be ashamed. And maybe you wonder about the difference between the word believe and wait, but actually there's not that much difference. Faith waits for God to do. And Jacob didn't wait for God to do. From the very time that he saw Rachel, you could see this guy was antsy. Well, really it is dealings with Esau. He didn't wait for God to bring home his promise. His mother didn't wait for God to bring home the promise in his own way. They had to go finagle. They had to trick their father. Rebecca had to be a Rebecca and Jacob had to be a Jacob. And and so now, and Rachel has to be a Rachel, as she takes the household gods from her brother Laban, who had to be a Laban. And boy, what humanity we see. And one of the reasons that we know the scriptures are written by God is because they tell the truth about men. There's no hero stories here about man in the Bible. In fact, even when the Lord Jesus Christ, God's perfect man, who is a genuine hero, came into the world, it tells us in John 2, that many believed in him, but he didn't trust himself to man because he knew what was in man. You can read that at the end of John chapter 2. So one of the evidences that the Bible is indeed the word of God is how true a story it tells about man. And in that regard, it especially tells the truth about God's chosen people, the nation of Israel, and the patriarchs who typify and forecast their behavior. And of course, Israel, Jacob, uh, the nation Israel, does not abide in the house of God. God intended to give the house of God to Israel, that they would then be established in their land, and that God's house, the temple, would be a house of prayer for all the nations. But what did the Jews make it? Well, they made it a den of thieves. They made it a place to take advantage of the Gentiles and what do we see here when Israel is first named as Israel Israel is first named corporately not Jacob renamed Israel but when Israel is first referenced as corporately we see them deceiving the Shechemites the Gentiles that are around them we see them deceiving them and taking advantage of them and taking vengeance upon them so uh, without God's command so what a picture we have now, you may recall yesterday that we closed out with a few deaths. And one of the deaths that we see was the death of Rebecca's nurse, Deborah. It sort of comes out of the blue at us. And just all of a sudden, we see in the scripture in Genesis 35, but Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, died and she was buried. Well, we have some burials going on here as Jacob comes back to Bethel and to restore his fellowship with God, to be in the place that God wants him, we see some burials going on. We see the burial of the strange gods that his children and companions took from the Shechemites. And it says that Jacob, in verse 4, Genesis 35, it says, Jacob hid them under the yoke, which is by Shechem. So he planted them in the ground. He took their strange gods, all the strange gods, and all their earrings, which were in their ears. And interesting about the earrings, I think an earring on a woman can be attractive. Here, looks like the earrings are on everybody. You look around today, you see earrings on everybody. It's a Gentile practice. It's a heathen practice. It's a practice that is associated with strange gods. Now, Are earrings strange gods? I don't think so. But it is a practice that you find. It's interesting that you find the practice in the Bible in association with strange gods. And while earrings are certainly not strange gods today, necessarily, there are plenty of strange gods around. Certainly the god Money, Mammon, certainly that number one god of America, Money, is a strange god. Is not God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Certainly you can't serve Jesus Christ and Mammon, so they're at odds against each other. Certainly as that God rises up in our society, and in the church, by the way, as well, as that's the number one form of idolatry among Christians is covetousness, We do see these earrings sprouted, and okay, well, I don't say I would necessarily ask a young fellow to take his earrings out if he came into the church. I would ask him to take his hat off, but I wouldn't necessarily ask him to take his earrings off, but it is an indicator of the age in which uh, we live when we see it here in the Bible. I'm not going to talk much about earrings again i promise but we see that jacob buries the false gods and the earrings that are associated with the worship of the false gods he buries that and then we see out of the blue and that's why we pay attention to such verses because when they come out of the blue like this but deborah rebecca's nurse died and who is she all of a sudden we don't hear rebecca again we hadn't heard of rebecca since she packed jacob off to go to her brother's place and we don't hear anything again about rebecca And here, all of a sudden, we hear about her nurse, and that her nurse died. Well, why would her nurse have found her way to Jacob, except that she wasn't needed anymore? And so probably we have a signal here that Rebecca's off the scene. And not only is Rebecca off the scene, but her nurse died, and she's buried beneath Bethel under an oak. And so we've got Jacob burying something else under oak trees, and this now is Deborah. And uh, finally... Uh, Rachel also dies and was buried on the way to Ephrath, which is Bethlehem. And she is buried in the house of bread there near that. And, of course, Jacob put a a remembrance there. Now, Isaac, we still have Isaac. And as Jacob's moving along toward uh, Bethel, it says, interestingly, it says, Jacob, Verse 27 of Genesis 35, came unto Isaac his father, unto Mamre, and to the city of Arba, which is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac sojourned. And the days of Isaac were a and fourscore years, or 180. And here we have the death of Isaac. Isaac gave up the ghost and died and was gathered unto his people, being old and full of days. And his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. So we have the death of Isaac. We we can infer the death of Rebekah before that. We have Jacob back in the land. We have him at Bethel, and we now have him as the patriarch with Isaac dead. Jacob, who has been renamed Israel, is now the patriarch, and we find him in Genesis 37, a singular phrase, Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. And then we get the generations of Jacob. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren. And when we see the generations of Jacob, it's very interesting that his second youngest son, the oldest son of Rachel, Joseph, is named first. And we have also that he was feeding the flock with his brethren. The lad was with the sons of Bilha and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now, this kind of thing here, we see the affections of Jacob for Joseph. We will never see in the scripture anything about Joseph that is negative. It is not that Joseph never did A negative thing is not that Joseph was perfect or anything, but Joseph is a picture of our Lord Jesus Christ in such a way that we will not see anything ill said about him. The only other person I can think of in the Bible that is like that, that has much detail about him, is the prophet Daniel. So Joseph now, 17 years old, he's reporting on the evil of his brothers. His brothers are evil. Joseph is not. But we also have this. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. Now, there's some controversy about this coat. There are some who believe that this should be read as a coat of many pieces, as opposed to a coat of many colors. It does say a coat of many colors, but it's the kind of a coat that has long sleeves to it. So it is different dress than is given to his brothers. It is sign of the favoritism that Israel has for him. It is a sign because this coat has sleeves. This coat is given to somebody who is not going to be working. He's not going to be working like the other brothers are. And it is the kind of coat that is worn by a chief or a ruler. And here Jacob Israel, who loved Joseph more than all the others, and I'm sure his love was evident. It says here, because he was the son of his old age, is why he loved him more. And of course, he is also the firstborn of his beloved Rachel. We have here now the jealousy, we have the hatred, we have the bitterness and bickering. We have all of Jacob's sins compounded in the behavior of his sons as they're jealous due to the affection that Jacob has for Joseph. While this may say something about Jacob, it says nothing about Joseph, but there's a wonderful picture here, and the picture here, when we first see Joseph, is really a picture of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to take a look ahead a little bit at the book of Deuteronomy and read something about what God says later when he repeats the law to the nation Israel. And I'm now reading here in Deuteronomy 21, verse 15, If a man have two wives, one beloved and another hated, and they have borne him children, both the beloved and the hated, and if the firstborn son be hers that was hated, then it shall be, when he makes his sons to inherit that which he has, that he may not make the son of the beloved, firstborn before the son of the hated, which is indeed the firstborn, but he shall acknowledge the son of the hated for the firstborn by giving him a double portion of all that he hath, for he is the beginning of his strength, the right of the firstborn is his. And I just want to say, now, this is the law given to Israel. It's given later. But we have here, obviously, when you read that, you think, well, that now outlaws this thing that Jacob did. Jacob loved the firstborn son of his beloved wife more than the firstborn son of his hated wife, or his lesser loved wife, his despised wife, Lee. She certainly thought he despised him. And Jacob being the kind of guy he is, you know, I, th- I think he did despise her. I don't put it past him. I don't put much past Jacob. Maybe you've guessed that. Told you before, I'll say it again. I don't think I'd like this guy. But then again, he wouldn't like me either. And so maybe we'd get along just fine because we have it in common that neither one of us are particularly likable according to our flesh, our natural inclinations. So maybe we'd become fast friends. Who knows? I'm just glad he's a brother in the Lord, and that we'll have fellowship, and by the time we see each other, we'll both be sin apart. So here with that scripture, we see that the double portion is not to be given. This is later. Of course, it doesn't apply to Jacob, but it will apply to his descendants at some point, that the double portion is not to be given to the firstborn son of the beloved wife, if he's younger than the firstborn son of the hated wife. And yet, that's what we're going to see happen with Joseph. I'll clue you in. If this is a suspense story to you, I guess I'm sort of ruining it. But I want to read, just read a good chunk about Joseph, because the Scripture's better, as some have said, it's better felt than tellt. And it's good to just read the Scripture. We're to give ourselves to the public reading of Scripture. Let me advise fathers out there and mothers, have your children read the Scripture aloud. It's a good way to learn how to read. Children don't read well aloud anymore. Maybe we never did, but I know when I was young, at least we were inclined and we had to read out loud. I always had my children read aloud the Scriptures together, and it's a good thing to learn. So we'll read now. Of course, the Scripture commends us to give to the public reading of scriptures. so I'm happy to do it now. Verse 3, Genesis 37, Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. And he said unto them, Here I pray you, this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and, lo, my sheaf arose, and also stood upright. And, behold, your sheaves stood round about, and made obeisance to my sheaf. And his brethren said unto him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. And he dreamed yet another dream, and told it his brethren, and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more, and behold, the sun and moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren, and his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee to the earth. And his brethren envied him, but his father observed the saying. Now let me pause for a moment here after verse eleven. It seems like there's no end to the hatred and envy that these brothers have for Joseph. And it's a picture, and we're going to look at it in the book of Matthew, as we see the same kind of behavior by the sons of Joseph israel jacob according to the flesh we're going to see it concerning their brother our lord jesus christ and let me say that while this is a maybe you'd question the prudence of this young fellow spouting off his dreams to these that hate him maybe he doesn't realize how much they hate him there seems to be no end to their despising and hatred of him But he just gives out the truth concerning the dreams that he has. And he's just recounting dreams. Why would they be angry about them when they could just describe it to his arrogance, except it has the ring of truth? And how do we know it has the ring of truth? Because it says, his father observed the saying. They disputed his dream, and they argued with his dream, but his father did not. And we know, of course that Jacob is a man, uh, despite the fact that he is a rascal, that he's a man of faith. And here we have indication in verse 11 where it says that his father observed the saying, that is, he remembered it, he took it into consideration. We have every evidence that he believed this, and we'll see that he does believe it later. Now we'll just read a little bit more, starting with verse 12. And his brethren went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said unto Joseph, Do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send thee unto them. And he said to him, Here am I. Now it's interesting that they're in Shechem, that they are able to live peaceably here. Remember, the terror of the Lord was upon those around him. And so we see them now living in faith here, not the children, but we see now Jacob living in faith. And so God is able, as he always did in Jacob's life, to make his enemies to be at peace with him, both Esau, Laban, and the Shechemites. And now verse 14, And he said to him, Go, I pray thee, see whether it be well with thy brethren and well with the flocks, and bring me word again. So he sent him out of the vale of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a certain man found him, And behold, he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him, saying, What seekest thou? And he said, I seek my brethren. Tell me, I pray thee, where they feed their flocks. And the man said, They are departed hence, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. And Joseph went after his brethren and found them in Dothan. Now his brethren had left Shechem. They had gone to Dothan. And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, They conspired against him to slay him. And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now therefore and let us slay him and cast him into some pit and we will say some evil beast has devoured him and we shall see what will become of his dreams. And Reuben heard it and he delivered him out of their hands and said, Let us not kill him. Well, before we read now, The works of Reuben and how it is that Joseph ends up in Egypt as Dothan is a city on the road to Egypt. Before we look at that, let's look forward to the Gospel of Matthew, and we'll look at Matthew chapter 21. And we're going to see what a wonderful picture, but what a horrible bunch of fellows uh, these sons of Jacob really are, and how much more horrible are their antecedents who fulfill what was only done in type to Joseph. Now we'll read in verse 33 of Matthew 21. Here another parable, and this is a parable of the same kind. This is concerning the kingdom of God and the way that Israel is conducting itself. Here another parable. There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard and hedged it round about and digged a winepress in it and built a tower and let it out to husbandmen and went into a far country. And when the time of the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the husbandman, that they might receive the fruits of it. And the husbandman took his servants, and beat one, and killed another. And again he sent other servants more than the first, and they did unto them likewise. Now we have here a picture of Israel. God always, uh, in a dispensation, having a planting of God. You have, for example, in the first dispensation, he plants the Garden of Eden and he puts the man in it. Then in the dispensation of conscience, well, we see no special planting of the Lord, but in the dispensation of government, we do see a special planting of the Lord, where through the king of the whole earth, Noah, he plants a vineyard. When God opens up the dispensation of the law, this is where he plants Israel. He plants the nation Israel in the land, and it says he planted a vineyard. He planted a vineyard. The Lord Jesus Christ in John 15 said, I'm the vine, the true one. That is compared to the vine, the false one. And what was the vine, the false one? Israel, according to the flesh. We might say the false vine is Jacob, the true vine is the... King of Israel, the fulfillment of Israel, our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the vine, the true one. And the Israel of God are those of Israel who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And verse 33, and hedged it round about, digged a wine press in it, built a tower, and let it out to husband. Well, we won't go into it, but you could read the book of Isaiah, and you will definitely be able to identify. Chapter 5 is the reference. You'll definitely be able to identify that this is Israel. And then it says he sent servants to them. Of course, uh, he would send his servants to the husbandmen that they, the servants, might receive the fruits of it. And every time God visited Israel, there was no fruit. But instead, the husbandman took his servants, beat one, killed another, stoned another. And you could even read it this way. One they beat, one they killed, one they stoned. The Lord Jesus Christ said to the leaders of Israel, From Abel to Zechariah, which of the prophets didn't you kill? And in fact, there's no answer to that because they killed all the prophets. All the prophets that were killed, they killed them. And it says he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did unto them likewise. But last of all, he sent unto them his son, saying, They will reverence my son. But when the husbandmen saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir, come, let us kill him and let us seize on his inheritance. And when they caught him, they cast him out of the vineyard and they slew him. So we have in that parable really it harkens backward or we could say this when we read here in the Old Testament about the way that they plot, now here comes this dreamer, come now therefore let us slay him, cast him into a pit and we will say some evil beast has devoured him. We shall see what becomes of his dreams. And, of course, his dreams was that he would rule over them. We see a picture, and this, again, evidence that the Word of God is indeed the Word of God. We see the picture of how the sons of Jacob will treat the Lord Jesus Christ when he comes. And, of course, what disturbs them about the fact that he's a dreamer and that he has dreams is that God is speaking to Joseph and that their father obviously is acknowledging Joseph's right, at least a partial right of primogenitor over them. And in fact, he will come into the rights, at least some rights, he'll come into the double portion, one of the rights of the firstborn. Now here's Reuben. Reuben said unto them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit that is in the wilderness, and lay no hand upon him, that he might rid him out of their hands to deliver him to his father again. So you see Reuben, has he's a coward, he's just not as wicked as the others. And it came to pass, when Joseph was come unto his brethren, that they stripped Joseph of his coat of many colors that was on him, and they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty, there was no water in it, and they sat down to eat bread, And they lifted up their eyes and looked, behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels bearing spicery and balm and myrrh, going to carry it down to Egypt. And Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. Let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. His brethren were content. And so now we see some uprightness also in Judah, and of course Judah will be the chosen brother through whom the Savior will come. The seed will come through Judah. Here you can see some uprightness in Judah insofar as he also is now trying to prevent the murder of Joseph. And there passed by Midianites, merchantmen. And they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. And they brought Joseph into Egypt. So we see here also a picture. We see them selling Joseph into bondage. Of course, the Lord was also sold. The Lord was betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. And here Joseph now brought into Egypt And Reuben returned unto the pit, and behold, Joseph was not in the pit, and he rent his clothes, and he returned unto his brethren, and said, The child is not, and I, whither shall I go? And they took Joseph's coat, and killed a kid of the goats, and dipped the coat in the blood, and they sent the coat of many colors, and they brought it to their father, and said, This we have found, know now, whether it be thy son's coat or no. And he knew it, and said, "It It is my son's coat, an evil beast has devoured him, Joseph is without doubt rented pieces, and Jacob rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days. Now they simulate the death of Joseph. In type, we can say Joseph died. In type, it's a picture. He didn't die. But, of course, it's a picture that he did die, and we see the picture that he died. His blood. Well, we see the blood of others, but the blood presented to the Father, evidence of death. There's quite a picture here. We can't even talk about it all. We're going to move along after this message. Well, we have Joseph now sold to the Midianites, and we're going to skip over a piece of the book of Genesis so that we can take up a bit of the career of Joseph, and then we'll come back and talk a little bit about Judah some more. But Jacob, we left with verse 34 of Genesis 37. Jacob rent his clothes, put sackcloth upon his loins, and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and his daughters rose up to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted. And he said, I will go down into the grave unto my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. And the Midianites sold Joseph into Egypt, unto Potiphar, an officer of pharaohs, and captain of the guard. Now, we have this picture of our Lord Jesus Christ buried here in the Old Testament for our learning, and we see many things. First of all, we see that men's evil intentions and men's carrying out of their own plots, once again we see how it is that God does not call all things good. God never calls Evil good, nor does he call good evil. Men do that. God never does call that. But we also know that God, because he's the author of time, circumstance, and he is sovereign over all of his creation, that God is able to cause all things to work together for the good to them that love God and who are called according to his purpose. God doesn't make everything good. In fact, I have some friends who have the unhappy tendency to talk about keeping relationships proper between Christians by making things right. Let me tell you, my friend, you can never make wrong right. There is no way to make wrong right. Wrong is wrong, right is right, and happily, the good news is, you don't need to make things right. The fact is you can't make things right. That's bad news. The good news is you don't need to make things right. God causes all things to work together for the good to them who love God and who are called according to his purpose. So we don't have to say that a bad thing is a good thing in order to realize that despite whatever evil we may suffer, despite whatever malevolent intention someone has and then actually executes against us in our lives, that God can take that malevolence and that evil, and he can put it together with something else, such as faith in his word, and he can cause those two things to work together for the good to them that love God and who are called according to his purpose. For what happened to the Lord Jesus Christ? The kings of the earth conspired against him, all the Romans, the leaders of the people, Pontius Pilate, Herod, the enemies of the Lord, the spiritual enemies, uh, Satan, Judas, all conspired against the Lord Jesus Christ to do what? Whatsoever God had determined would be done. And God intended to preserve Joseph From death, of course, he didn't allow his brothers to kill him. God intends to preserve Joseph. And Joseph is the first person in the Bible that is seen to be a revealer of secrets or an interpreter of dreams. He has the dreams, and he's able to interpret. He is gifted as the interpreter of dreams or as the revealer of secrets. The heathen word for that in the false religion, started by Nimrod, and spread throughout the whole earth, which may now be called the mystery religions, and they have their way of cropping up into formal religions. They have the hierophant, or the one who is the revealer of secrets. That's the term. Now, maybe some of you have come across that term by dabbling in false religion and in demonology and so forth. You will come across that word if you find yourself in dark arts, And let me say, God can save you out of that, but I don't know any other way that you'll get out of that except God saves you out of it, and I know what I'm talking about. So here, Joseph is seen to be a revealer of secrets. Our Lord Jesus Christ is the revealer of secrets, and he shows himself to be that in the book of the Revelation. He shows himself to be that in his parabolic teaching. And we have this form of what we might say secret teaching or revealing of secrets Or mystery teaching, we have it a few times in the Bible, and we ought to pay good attention to it. We have it with Joseph, we have it with Daniel, we have it with our Lord Jesus Christ, and finally, the Apostle Paul is a revealer of secrets as certain secrets or mysteries were given to him to reveal. And of course, they happen in different ways, just as the book of Hebrews tells us. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken unto us in his Son, or literally in Son. And we do not need to be looking for a revealer of secrets. We have our revealer of secrets, our Lord Jesus Christ. We do not need to be looking for other sources of information to find the truth. God used to talk in dreams. He used to give visions. He had other ways of speaking. He used to have prophets. God doesn't need any of those anymore. He has spoken. Everything God has to say, he has said. He has spoken in Son. And the Lord Jesus Christ, don't underestimate this, the Lord Jesus Christ told us through the apostles that it was expedient for him to go away from us. Now, just like Joseph here, it's expedient. But they don't know why. But it's expedient for Israel that Joseph is sold into Egypt, that Joseph goes away. It's expedient for Israel. It's good for them because there's a time coming. There's a famine coming, and he is sold into bondage in Egypt. He takes upon himself the bondage that he doesn't deserve. And he finds a way into great grace and favor, and he goes away, and what is he doing while he goes away? He goes away to prepare a place for them, and he will receive them to himself finally when they come to him. This is the wonderful story of Joseph and his brethren, just as it is the story of of the Lord Jesus Christ and his brethren. They meant it for evil, he means it for good, the Lord Jesus Christ, despite the fact he was rejected by his brethren, has gone away and will come back and save his brethren. He'll not only come back, he'll take unto himself the church which is his body, but he will come back personally and he will save Israel, and so all Israel will be saved. Wonderful pictures here, but I digress a bit from my main point. We have the Scriptures. God has spoken to us. God does not have prophets today. In fact, in one place the Scripture says, as there were false prophets among them, there will be false teachers among us. God has teachers today. There are false teachers today. There were false prophets in Israel. There are false teachers among the churches The church, which is his body in this time where the true church of God is in mystery form. But will there be false teachers around? And there are. And we'll be hearing from some of them here, even on this broadcast. It won't be me, I hope. But if it is me, just turn me off. But I'm not. I'm telling you the truth. And God has no more dreams and he has no more visions and he has no more apostles and he has no more prophets. He has his word. And, of course, it's amazing to me that as plain as that is and as concise as the Scriptures are, 1,000 pages, I mean, that's not very much when you consider it's all we need for life and godliness. Everything's here. That as we go forward today and the day that we live, as ignorance of the Word of God is so prevalent that every nutball, crazy, goofy guy claims to have a revelation from God claims to have a vision, claims to have a visitation by Jesus Christ himself, claims to be an apostle, all this crazy stuff, and yet people buy it. And yet people buy it. Well, here we have Joseph. He is the beginning uh, picture of of the mystery teaching and he gets sold into Egypt and we'll skip Genesis 38 not that there's not very significant but just just so that we can continue to look at the life of Joseph Joseph was brought down to Egypt Joseph sold into bondage down in Egypt he didn't go there himself we don't have any faults of Joseph recorded in the scripture he was sold into bondage they turned him over And Potiphar, to whom he was sold, and Potiphar was the officer of the pharaohs, Potiphar, uh, captain of the Garden Egyptian, bought him out of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down into Egypt. And the Lord was with Joseph. Now this is Genesis 39, verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of of his master, the Egyptian. And so now we see the Abrahamic promise devolving, or evolving, we could put it that way, down to Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. Let me tell you, my friend, uh, it's a wonderful thing to be with the Lord, to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is even a better thing when the Lord is with you. Do you expect the Lord to bless those around you because you're his servant? Let me just say, you can be that way. You can have such faith if you'll serve the Lord. Nothing better to do than to be a There's nothing more enjoyable in life, in my opinion, than to be a blessing to someone else. Oh, it's wonderful to be blessed, but it's more wonderful to be a blessing. As the Lord Jesus Christ personally told Paul, I believe, while he visited him in the Arabian desert, it is better to give than to receive, and it's better all around. Not just morally better, it feels better. So the Lord was with Joseph. He was a prosperous man. Now, what does that mean? Well, he's a profitable guy, and his prosperity, of course, went to those around him, not to himself. And so he was prosperous wherever he went, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him. And he, that is Potiphar, made him overseer over his house, and all that he had he put into his hand. Now I want to commend to our thoughts the commendation here of Joseph. And maybe I could direct this uh, to younger men, or I'll direct this to whoever cares. But I'm thinking here as I speak about this, about young men. Look at this fellow, and look at how he is. First of all, the Lord was with him and prospered that which he did. If your work is not visited by the Lord, it will come to nothing. Let me assure you of that. This is what the natural man finds. This is what you'll read in the book of Ecclesiastes. You'll see that except the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who work. Except the Lord visits with grace your efforts, they'll come to nothing. They'll just burn up. But here, it was even noticeable to a heathen guy like Potiphar that the Lord made Joseph to prosper. And that's something that we ought to look for and expect. And then the second thing here is that Joseph found grace in his sight. And grace is wonderful. Grace or favor with men, that's a wonderful thing. If you find favor with man, that's fine. God is able to give you favor with men. Here, Joseph is the slave of Potiphar. I mean, Potiphar bought him. He paid money for him, and Joseph is a piece of chattel property. And yet he realizes what, as Christians, we should realize, are you a bondman? Are you another servant? Don't worry about that. You're a free man in the Lord. Are you a free man? Do you have your freedom? Do you have your financial and personal freedom? Uh, Don't get high-minded, because you are the bond servant of the Lord. That's what the Scripture said. And, Here it says that he found grace in his sight, and he served him. And I want to say this, if you cannot serve another, if you cannot be faithful with another man's things, the Bible says, how can you be given your own things? And then as you're faithful with your own things, which would be ersatz things, that would also be a test. These are two tests. First, you're tested with other people's things. Well, by and large, today, people don't take care of other people's things. It's just a fact. Uh, That's always been the case. It's a predominant fact. People don't take care of other people's things. And then when they have their own things, they don't take care of their own things. And if you can't handle things, things that money can buy, if you can't handle money, God will never trust you with the true riches. And what are the true riches? Well, my friend, they're the scriptures. They are the scriptures. And so Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him, and he, that is Potiphar, made Joseph the overseer over his house and put everything uh, into his hand.